Hi, and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nika Anani, and I'm your host. This week's episode, my goodness, this lady is just a powerhouse, and I learned so much from her. Zita is the founder of The Legacy Atelier, and here she guides multi-generational business families in their legacy journeys, helping them to reconnect with legacies, make sense of it, preserve it, and build upon it so that it can thrive for generations to come. She is really an advocate for the power of narratives and stories, and we unpacked a lot of this in this conversation. So enjoy, share the love, and take good care. Hi, Zita. Welcome to The Connected Generation. I can't wait for our conversation today. Hello, Nikke. Good morning, and I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great. I'm really excited. So you recently founded the Legacy Atelier, which that name in itself sounds so glamorous and sexy. But before we unpack that, I want to know more about your journey to where you got to stay and any obstacles you face along your, whether it's your personal journey or your professional journey. Absolutely. So, oh my goodness, <laughs> how many obstacles we have <laughs> been facing. But that's the beauty of it, I do believe, because we learn so much. So I started working around narratives and around understanding what surrounds me um, at the age of 10, where my country mm. of origin went through a narrative reset. And I started to question my mom and my surrounding, well, why are the street names sort of receiving new names? And I'm sorry, which country of origin is this? That was Hungary. So it was sort of a phenomenal idea about, right, what's happening? <laughs> and then, of course, these story books and sort of study books um, all reflected some of that journey as well. And then uh, that was the age of 10. And then uh, from the age of 13, my mom was quite adamant about sending me to different sort of summer schools, language schools, mm-hmm. whereby I'm surrounded by lots of different kids from different surroundings and different international sort of groups in the UK, in Scotland, in Italy, and in all sort of other countries in Europe. Mm-hmm. So I was exposed culturally from a very early age for three or four weeks or even uh, months and was surrounded by different cultures. And so my journey really sort of developed from there. Why are we all different? Why mm-hmm. are we all having different stories and perspectives and narratives? about ourselves and what surrounds us really. And then from the age of 15 or 16, I delved into a lot into psychology, uh, face structures, how our key differentiations are, differentiators are in terms of personalities, how are we all formed by our geocultural and all sort of other roots based on our education, what sort of education mm. systems they are. So it was quite an overwhelming thought of the journey and at the age of 16 or 17. And then, of course, during university years as well, I traveled a lot and I um, started working because I wanted to become independent from a very Mm -hmm. early age. And I also worked with two embassies, one Angolan embassy, where I was the the only one who was not an African origin. They Mm -hmm. were great fun. I learned a lot from the rich culture, the rich different countries' culture. I dived into a lot of a multilateral and bilateral sort of research around countries and development ideas and potential really sort of how to leverage the potential that they are there. And there, of course, I delved into a lot to stories about different contexts, about different 
cultural sort of motifs and power lines that really shaped different cultures and the future of different cultures and how the different stories and the single stories can come up really strongly if they are narrated and if they are really purposed um, in sort of very meaningful ways. And of course, I started learning languages from a very early age as well. So I used to live in Rome and then in Barcelona, and now it's been now for eight years in London. But the whole idea was this new cultural immersion that really sort of stood up for me in a very potent way. And then during university, I attended lots of seminars from film aesthetics to all sort of different types and forms of aesthetics to philosophy and lots of cultural anthropology, lots mm-hmm. of other sort of elements that really drove me into the direction that what I do today. So it was beautiful in terms of the lineup of uh, bringing in different stories, bringing in different contexts. And of course, that uh, all sort of resonates well with me today. And after university, I started also a PhD, but in the meanwhile, I went into some corporate areas and corporate sort of functions as well. And then it was all about sort of knowledge seeking around mm-hmm. conferences, production and content creation and curation. I'm quite heavy in the research and sort of tackling, going behind what are the underlying subjects are, and then really started to work within this space around 10 years ago. And I was really fascinated, as we all are, by the beautiful and fascinating subjects around and surrounding family businesses and all their various entities, mostly by the stories and how we understand the stories and how we capture those stories. And that is why I founded the Legacy Atelier, because I am fully committed and really passionate about helping family businesses to understand their stories, their narratives and their legacies so that they can really not only cherish them, but really build upon them as well and really tackle and leverage that multi-generational family wisdom, the collective family wisdom and an intelligence that they have because they absolutely need that if they're really looking to succeed in the long run. Wow. Your experience is so multifaceted and you've had so much exposure and insight into the different domains that really impact on this space, the cultural anthropology, the philosophy, the behavioral side on the psychology side. So your journey is really, really fascinating. And I loved what you were talking about, the importance of stories. So just following up on that, you know, you spoke a little bit in brief about what you do at the Legacy Atelier and how you help families kind of understand the narratives. I guess from someone that's listening to this, that's a bit skeptical about the importance really of narratives in building a legacy enterprise. By not engaging in this process of understanding our narratives or constructing our narratives or understanding this collective intelligence, what do they stand to lose as a family or as a business? Well, that's a very easy answer because unfortunately, if they are not connected, if family businesses are not connected to their past and they can't build upon their past because they do not understand it or they they have a fragmented story. So all the legacy that they are creating by themselves will be disconnected from this multi-generational family legacy. And that means that they are really starting from the get-go. And that means that they are losing out not only on all the beautiful stories, but all the learning that they could have learned from their family members, their ancestors, 
because what's behind us, we all learn from it, whether they be success stories or failures proven in different research results that the more multi-generational family businesses are, the more resilient they are and the more innovative they are because they're learning from their past. So it's mm-hmm. really how to build upon the past and how can we leverage the past so that we can really not only cherish and the past, but really have that understanding that really can move us forward. So the ones that are not tackling these are really losing out. And they start off as if they were the founders as a first generation families, and they have to start all over again. And hopefully their next generations will be more agile and they'll be more diligent in looking back what has happened so far and how we can actually build upon those elements. Mm, That's an excellent answer. And I wonder when you say it's important for us to come together and have these conversations about our history, what do you specifically mean? Are you speaking about, because we're speaking about family business, you've got the family element, you've got the business element. In every family, we have tragedies, we have some level of dysfunction, whether in the nuclear or extended family. Equally in the business, they might have been seasons of frugality or seasons of humble beginnings, seasons of financial difficulty, seasons of risk-taking. When you say it's important that we explore our stories, what do you mean? Well, exploration starts with understanding and we all tend to see things or events surrounding us or sort of perceive people and we think that we understand them. And if we go back to the real understanding features and the real elements of understanding, then we understand how much and how little we understand. For example, we are having this conversation and Plato was the one who sort of turned and coined the dialogue. And the idea about the dialogue is that we seek information and we try to establish knowledge connected to us. And the more you're asking and the more you're posing questions, the more I reflect on them, we seek the true knowledge. But however, what we do is we share. These are mere opinions. It's based on our perception, your perception of what surrounds us and because of our journey and because Mm. of conditioning, because of Mm. so many other elements that we don't want to go into. But the whole idea is that how we perceive things and how we receive things, how we grasp the essence of something is very different for you and for me. And so how to fuse um, these sort of understanding horizons, uh, the Mm. various layers of understanding horizons is critical because then we get close to each other. Because mm. then we can fuse these elements and based on the subjective and objective perceptions and mm. understanding horizons, we can fuse them and create a transubjective one, which is really powerful for families. So what I'm saying is that before trying to grasp the very narratives for each and every family, they can actually go back and try to understand each other first and mm. then how they perceive their legacies or what happened in the past within their family so that they can go closer to their legacy as well, to the various legacy points, and then they can align according to that shared value framework, the vision, the mission for the family. But they can't really do that if Mm. they do not understand properly. So what I'm really an advocate about is stories count and narratives count. But before we delve into these stories and narratives, Let's go back and let's revise our understanding about the very stories and about ourselves. 
And we were actually last time, I so much enjoyed the conversation that we had last time mm. about African stories. And that was really something that opened my eyes during university years, that these narratives are all driven by someone for whatever reason, and they are all shaped, the narratives are shaped by someone or sort of institutions and parties and all that. But the whole idea is that is so important for me, at least, is that we give voice to everyone, but not only give voice, but to give voice in their own narrative so mm-hmm. that they can have that very story surrounding them and they feel comfortable in that story because that's their own narrative of that story as well. And that's critical because we have so many of these family members that they all have different types of aspirations and expectations and perceptions. And if they are not listened to, and if they are not really assessed and praised for their own thoughts, and they cannot drive their own narratives surrounding them, and then we are again missing a trick. And families do miss a trick when they do not do that. And they can't really align themselves according mm-hmm. to shared values if someone is really missed out from those stories. There's so much I have to say. Because <laughs> you've said so much and it's just been like, wow. Firstly, my experience of a lot of people referring to the importance of sharing the family story typically surrounds the founder origin story. And as a next gen, whilst that sounds great, and I wish to learn from my father or mother's origin story, how they built the business from humble beginnings, etc., it does still feel like there's no room for me in the story. This is really, it's their story. And I have to kind of just fit into, I'm just a cog in the wheel. I'm just playing a part in their play of script, right? But this isn't an opportunity to tell my story. And when you were talking about the individual narrative, something just went off in my head because whilst you were talking, I was just thinking that, For a child, you came into your parents' life, you met them maybe at age 25 or 35, and there's so much to discover about whilst you were not here, right? So there's an assumed position of the next gen to learn about the founders' origins and life experiences prior to you came to being. But the truth of the matter is that even the two of us might go through the same experience or we might have the same events that occur to us, but we'll have different experiences of it because of our deferring perspectives. So I loved when you spoke about that because it's something so empowering about really, it's not just about one person's story, but it's really about a collective story and ensuring that each voice is heard so we can have that collective intelligence. Absolutely. And I think what's really also important to mention is that we are all surrounded by these assumptions and we have all these assumptions and biases. So really phasing them out or at least trying to grasp these biases and why the whys and the hows behind these biases, it just really helps us a lot. And we can go into sort of different types of biases. But what I'm really sort of advocating for is that sense-making leads to meaning-making and leads to better decision-making. Because if Mm -hmm. we just try to grasp the meaning making and then make the decision making or actually just maybe shortcutting and right delve into the decision making, it's just not necessarily good because we are missing out on a lot of elements that we could know 
And that could drive our decision-making and decision-taking processes as well. So this whole sense-making and meaning-making is just so powerful for families if they do that. And so now speaking specifically to successors, what role do you see or what common mistakes do you see them making in this area of the family story, collective narratives, etc.? Well, I think we share some of these stories as well, that many occasions, family next gens can come into the picture and they are not allowed to add their legacy marks to their narratives to the picture because it's all there. It's mm-hmm. you come in and it's a rigid environment. If there are rigid environments, of course, the next gens will be very much unwilling to collaborate and very much unwilling to be engaged to what the family wants them to do. And there is this huge pressure point around the expectations. But what about their expectations? What about their aspirations? Mm-hmm. And so many times, by the way, these next gens, and I think most of our, so much people pleases. And we want to appear that we are pleasing the family still. So mm-hmm. we are going above and beyond to what is expected. But the true self is actually biting and saying that, no, no, we can't do that. So there's this huge space of anxiety in betweenness before the transformation, before we get into the engagement part. So all these, whether it's succession, whether it's the previous part of sort of preparation, getting into a mixed phase whereby I still do not, but I will, I'm in between. And there is this beautiful term as in between, which is called a betwixt. And it's really just underlines that you are really not, and actually understanding is in between as well. So we are going Mm -hmm. to the same point as we made earlier. We are always in between. So how to merge and how to fuse and how we synthesize what we have on both sides is really crucial. And to your point, successors make a lot of the mistakes because they do not want to engage with the families. If the family doesn't want to engage with them, maybe they should be pushing the engagement themselves. That's mm-hmm. how I feel about it. And maybe I'm quite proactive in all sort of different ways, but proactivity can really lead the way for families as well. Because once they understand that someone is knocking on our door constantly, mm-hmm. maybe we'd like to listen to them because maybe it can serve us well and it may benefit the overall family, whether it's a small branch or whether it's multiple branches. And as we know, there are so many families, so large families with hundreds or thousands of family members. So it's extremely crucial that for them to really tap into not only all the skill sets and the unique capabilities and capacities, but really understand the underlying concepts of who thinks about what and why. Language is very important. The different languages that we speak, they all form how we behave, how we think about different concepts. And we really understand how everything that surrounds us is a construct. And it's all something that we are developing together. And I think what families are really strong by that they can do these themselves. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's the beauty, one of the many beauties about family businesses. Wow. I loved what you spoke about, the anxiety of the in-betweenness and the betwixt. That definitely resonates. And the people-pleasing tendency of next gens and what have you. So do you have any practical tips that you could share with next gens that might be in that having that anxiety of the in-betweenness of that change and don't necessarily know they can they know where they want to go to, but 
the things they have to do to get there might just be very crippling and scary. Yes. Well, I have this sort of a really nice sort of grading, really, of uh, what I would advise next gens or any of the family members, really. And I do have this coined word as MIFI, which is map, engage, frame, and inspire. And the mapping mm-hmm. is really whole this whole understanding process. And as we know, and the first thing we need to establish is that we really can't map anything accurately and meticulously, because first of all, we need to understand the context. The second one is engage. So engage with the family members after you've already sort of delved into the understanding process about what I'd like to achieve and how I'd like to achieve that. And Mm -hmm. then engage with the various family members, knocking on their doors. Hopefully, sooner or later, they will be listening to us. The third one is about really a frame, how we would like to achieve things and really bringing everyone into that frame so that they understand what we mean about the different framing that we have set for ourselves. And the first part and step is really the inspiration. Mm -hmm. We tend to inspire. If we inspire everyone surrounding us, and then it will not only make them feel that they're involved, but they really take themselves on a journey that is connected Mm -hmm. to our journey as well. So this process helps next gens, but also other family members so that they can connect with each other so that they can get inspiration from each other as well. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I wanted to know your thoughts on mentorship for next gens. How can they go about in seeking mentors, whether it's in the family, outside the family? What are your thoughts on that? Well, mentors shouldn't be advisors in terms of, that's my opinion, of course, they are biased. Because someone comes in who is truly trusted. And again, I say truly trusted. (laughs) But someone who is really trustworthy and trusted and really take the essence of what the next gen would need, then of course, that's also an area. But what I would recommend to families, and I've seen this work in many beautifully, is that if they can have one or two actually family members who are diverse from them. So Mm -hmm. if they're talking about a son, then a daughter or someone from a family who can actually bring them into a different perspective or someone from the older generations, or maybe even two. And so these sort of mentoring elements and activities can help all of the family members involved in the mentorship program to take them into, well, first of all, to ground them and to take them to new levels in terms of other perspectives, because then they are not only listened to, but they're really trying to be understood and they're really trying to help each other. So there's this collectiveness and this collaboration the co-creating element and co-creating narratives, co-creating and imagining what the world around surrounding us would be like. So I do believe that something that is completely biased, someone coming in who doesn't necessarily have all the various multi-layered and multifaceted background stories about the family, but the social, the cultural, the family and all the business and all the other elements, that's not necessarily good. Maybe it can be actually held within the family. And then once we have something, an established process within the family, of course, we can seek external advisors as well. But it also depends on the family because so many families are so tiny with one or two successors. And of course, there, this could be problematic. And the advisors, of course, can help a lot as well. But it depends on how they're coming in and for what reason they're coming in. Excellent. Excellent. And for those that are like, this sounds amazing and like to work with you, 
what does working with you look like practically? Well, firstly, it's all about an assessment. I tend to go through various different family members of um, assessing where they are in their journey, what their purpose is, what their goals are, and if they have an upcoming celebratory anniversary, for example, I don't know, 200 years of uh, the family Mm -hmm. business in the making, or a family in front of a succession. There are different elements that we can really tackle. But firstly, I always take them through this whole understanding piece. And I like to work with not only one family member, but with actually many family members so that we can really co-create that journey in a participatory design. I really believe in the contextual sort of environment where there are emerging ideas that I don't have pre sort of labeled or sort of structured elements. And I have quite a unique method with which I walk through the different families, through their sort of different journey points. And therefore we can capture the very journey points as well in very meaningful and interactive and sort of joyful ways as well. So think of a legacy room or a legacy salon that could be used as a states room or it could be used as a drawing room. Think of a cabinet of curiosities whereby your next gens can interact, actually interact with your family portraits. Because so many times when we go into a museum, the family portraits hang on the wall two meters high up. And of course, the kids cannot touch them. And mm. They cannot feel them. They cannot relate to them. We have to sort of lift them up. Well, in a legacy salon, you really don't need to do that. So we can make all these artistic pieces for families to invoke memories, for families to really relate to their legacies, to their ancestors, but really have that shared understanding about, wow, this is joyful. This brings us back nostalgia, but mm. a lot of learning from which we can have all that sort of family wisdom repelled and really projected into the future as well. So these are, of course, each and every family has some negative and inconvenient uh, stories as well as very much sort of positive stories. And these narratives change as well. So as the different stories are having those lights sort of shading onto them or sort of they're under different lights and these lights are changing, these stories are changing as well. So mm-hmm. sometimes there could have been negative stories that now are perceived as very positive stories. So it's beautiful to reassess where we are and The whole process with me is this, it's all about the family. It's not about me. It's all about the family. How can I help the family to take the next step, to commemorate and to learn from their various legacy pieces? That's so powerful. Thank you so much, Sita. If anyone wants to get hold of you and in touch with you, how best can they reach you? Well, and you can come to my website. It's www.thelegacyatelier.com. And of course, social media channels are open as well. And thank you so much for this opportunity, Nikki. It's been always a pleasure and I love having these conversations with you. Thank you so much. Likewise, likewise. I learned so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love, love, love that conversation because I really think that Sita is completely on the money. The importance of narratives, the importance of stories, the importance of building upon the legacy and the narrative is critical so that we don't revert back, like she said, to being founders once again. And I really think that the multi-generational success of a family enterprise is like the amazing aroma of your favorite meal. 
right? That smell, you smell from the kitchen and it's been cooking. You're like, hmm, I really want some of that. And it's an output. It's not the input or the process. To be able to get to this aroma, ingredients had to be selected. They had to be prepared, washed. They had to be cooked. One has to be aware of the recipe, the ingredients, and the quantities. But quite often, we focus on that aroma. The ingredients, the recipe, the quantities, the process is likened to that collective wisdom that Sita was alluding to. That coming together of a family, that understanding our story, learning from one another on the entrepreneurial legacy, our family legacy, our societal legacy, so that we can build upon that. Without carefully reflecting and documenting, documentation can take different forms, not necessarily written documentation. It could be oral, it could be video. But without reflecting and documenting these recipes, we're likely to forget them and we won't be able to pass them on to the next generation. So the legacy we should be focused on is on how can we pass on this recipe, not just the aroma. How can we pass on our collective wisdom, our collective learnings, so that we can get better as a family and move on to the next generation? Thank you so much. Take good care and God bless you.